Welcome, Red Rocks Church family and friends. Anybody excited to be in church this weekend? I hope you're excited. I'm excited. I'm real excited. I'm Red Bull excited. I'm Spark Energy Drink excited. I'm too deep and I'm ready to go. I hope you guys are ready. Um, For those of you that might be joining with us, maybe for the first time to our church, maybe you've not been in a church for a while, um, I just wanna say welcome. Uh, On behalf of our church family, the heart of our house is that you would feel loved and valued and accepted and welcomed into this place the moment that you walk in. That's straight from the heart of our senior pastor, and so we hope that you feel that as you're sitting here this weekend. This is a very special weekend, and I want to encourage you over the next three weekends, would you clear your calendar, because we're going to dive into an installment of conversations and talks that really have set our church up to do and to see and to experience some of the things that we're living in right now. Um, If you've been a part of Red Rocks Church for a while, you know that God has been very gracious to us. Um, He's allowed us to see some things and experience some things, plant campuses in weird places. What up, Austin, Texas? What up, Brussels, Belgium? What up, God behind bars? We've done some cool stuff over the last decade or so. And um, one of the reasons why we've been able to do some of the things we've been able to do as a church is because every year we bring to the culmination of our year uh, conversations around generosity. And this, this series um, finishes with an offering that really positions us so that in 2020 and in the next year, um, we as a church are able to respond to the opportunities that God gives to our church. We believe wholeheartedly as a leadership team that the best days of our church are still to come. The greatest opportunities are still ahead of us. There's more ground to take. You should be a little bit more excited than that right now if your heart is full of faith. And so I just want to say this up top before we get into any content this weekend. If you're visiting and you're like, my goodness, see, all the church wants is my money. Um, Let me just put you at ease really quickly. You can ask anybody in our church. Um, We rarely ever, almost to a fault, never, never, never talk about money. Um, But this is the time uh, in our church's calendar and our church's rhythm where we unapologetically are going to talk about what it means to be a church that sacrifices to see the message of Jesus Christ spread not only throughout Denver, but we believe there's more cities to go to, there's more countries to go to, more continents to go to. so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about money and we're gonna talk about vision and we're gonna talk about what God's done and how faithful he has been. And we're gonna talk about what we believe God is going to do in and through our church. Um, and so I will say this, if, you're, if you are new and maybe the money talks and talks about offerings and generosity makes you feel uneasy, um, I just wanna say this. Over the next three weeks, would you just exhale a little bit? Um, We want nothing from you. Um, Feel under no obligation. Uh, Don't feel any sort of pressure because the fact of the matter is um, our church doesn't live under a pressure. Um, Our church doesn't give under obligation. I love what 2 Corinthians says. It says this, that you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So if you feel any pressure, 
It's your get out of jail card free. You know, you, you don't have to feel any sort of obligation. You don't have to feel any pressure, but this is what he finishes this verse with saying, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So if at the end of this series, the next three weeks, you don't feel all Marie Kondo in your heart, like generosity and sacrifice for this place doesn't spark joy in your heart, rest easy. Lean to your neighbor and tell him, rest easy, rest easy. The fact of the matter is, if you're watching anywhere, you're listening to this message anywhere other than the Littleton campus, you're doing so because thousands of people year after year after year have responded with faithful generosity, so much so that we could plant campuses in other cities, plant campuses in other countries, and plant campuses in prisons. Um, how many of you know what we're able to do? It, it's all birthed out of sacrifice, and it's all birthed out of generosity. Um, just a forewarning, our preachers aren't that good, um, our singing isn't that good, no offense. Um, we're able to do what we're able to do because of the grace of God and the generosity of the people sitting beside you. And so can we just launch into this series celebrating what God has done in and through us and through the lives of our church? Can you put your hands together and thank people that have given sacrificially year in and year out? I'll just say this, and then I'm gonna, we'll get into the Bible and stuff like that. Um, but I just wanna let you know, if you are visiting, I, wanna, I, I just wanna let you know off the bat, you're not sitting in a common church. You're not sitting next to ordinary people. You're not here on an average weekend. Sorry. You're in a very uncommon church. You're in Red Rocks Church in what I believe are some of our greatest moments as a church. And so what I wanna do is invite you back the next three weekends not to hear messages around sacrifice, or around an offering, around vision, but would you come back to watch a church? Come back and watch a church the way that they respond because you're sitting next to people that know what it's like to live without Jesus. And then they know what it's like to live with Jesus. And let me just tell you, that does some crazy things to people's hearts. And so we'll stop at nothing short of sin to get the message of Jesus Christ around the world. We got a lot of work to do. And I believe that we are completely fit for the challenge and the task ahead. I want to start um, in a moment of prayer. So if you would, at all of our locations, would you lower your head? Would you just... Set your eyes upon Jesus, and it'll give me a moment to just catch my breath and stop snotting. Jesus, we submit to you. This is why we're here. We, we have a message to proclaim, and you've given us that message. You've given us this good news, and Jesus, we want to shout it from the rooftops. And so, God, I pray as we enter into this end of year Series, God, I pray that you would speak uncommon words to uncommon people so that we would do uncommon things to see an uncommon harvest. Jesus, everything that we need, you have supplied, and everything we need for the challenge ahead, you have given to us. We want to respond with a boisterous yes as a church to everything that you have in our heart, every opportunity, every opportunity to spread the gospel to new locations and in new territories. Jesus, our mission is to make heaven more crowded because you've paid a sacrifice for us to do so. So Jesus, this is all for you. Um, we set our eyes upon 
you. And God, I pray that you would position our hearts as a church to say yes to every opportunity that you'll present to us. And every single uncommon person at Red Rocks Church said, amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you, would you just open up to a, a book of the Bible that, that you might not have spent too much time in? It's the book of First Chronicles 21, chapter 21, and this is an interesting passage, and the reason why I wanted to share from this this weekend is because it's a story about a man that a lot of us have heard of. How many of you ever heard of King David? It's not a trick question. How many of y'all have heard of King David? There we go. We heard of King David. Um, King David was known as one of Israel, God's chosen people, one of their greatest kings to have ever ruled. Um, this man was known, uh, scripture throughout Old Testament and New Testament calls this man a man after God's own heart. How many know if God's going to give me a nickname, that's a pretty doggone good one. Anybody want man after God's own heart, woman after God's own heart? Um, this guy was a stud. The story that we're going to take a look at is pretty interesting. David is nearing the end of his rule and his reign. Um, he's had a successful rule. God's done amazing things in and through his life and in through his leadership. He's had some pretty major pitfalls and moral failures. Um, but all throughout the process, God has restored David to be what he would be known as, as a valiant king, a noble king, a man after the own heart of God. And this story is really interesting. Because 1 Chronicles 21 starts off with David kind of making a little bit of a mistake. Um, the Bible says in, in, in chapter 21 that, that he was tempted by the enemy, tempted by the devil to take up a census. And this census wasn't like a lot of us are used to. This census was him numbering the amount of military force, the amount of able-bodied men that would be able to, to serve and to fight on a moment's notice. And so David, in the end of his days, is going, I want to know what I'm working with. Like, I want to know how strong of a military I have. How capable are we? How strong are we? How safe are we? How protected are we? Doesn't sound like a big mistake. It doesn't sound like a sin. And so David gets some, some of his counselors, his spiritual advisors. Um, one of the guys is called a seer. And, and they come to him and they're like, David, listen, I don't think we should take up a census. I don't think this would honor God. And I don't think this gives glory to God. And I don't think that this shows too much trust that he's our provider. He's our safety. He is your strength. He is your success. He is the, the best thing that you're going to leave behind for Israel. But David decides to do what a lot of leaders do. And they decide to do what's in his own head and in his own heart against wise counsel. And in verse 7, it says this, that God was very displeased. How many of you know it's bad when mama's mad, but when mama's very mad, it's very bad. It says that God was very displeased with the census. Come on, God, lighten up. Doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. And it says he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly. Lean to your neighbor and say he sinned greatly. He sinned greatly by taking this census. And he says, please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Now, 
number one, it's kind of weird that God is, is greatly displeased in what David did. It's kind of a normal thing that kings would do. What kind of military am I working with? Um, but, but how many of you know that, that some of the things that, that God tests in our hearts, some of the things that God challenges in our hearts, maybe to the surface value, we go, Those, that's not really a bad thing. But how many of you know God knows your heart? Like what, what God was challenging, what he was displeased with wasn't a census. How many of you know that wasn't part of the law? Don't take a census. Um, it, what he was displeased with was something in the heart of David. Now what's interesting is when David goes to God and he laments and he's like, God, oh, forgive me, take away my guilt, pardon me from this. He says, I have greatly sinned. I've greatly sinned. What's interesting is there's about six accounts throughout scripture where, where David laments before God and he's, he's repentant and he, he's asking God to take away his guilt or to forgive him of his sin. Things like um, unjust murder and wrongfully killing people, like, like big things. How many of you remembered one of David's most notorious sins was sleeping with Bathsheba? Anybody remember that story? It's interesting that after all of those accounts, all six of David going before God and, and, and confessing his sin, this is the only account where David says, I have greatly sinned. I have greatly sinned against you. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem to equate. Like if, if you're going to say, all right, Ronnie, you got, you got three sins that you can make. Choose wisely. Which one do you think God's going to be most angry with? You can, you can murder somebody. You, you can take a census or you can sleep with another man's wife. I'm probably not going to pick take a census as the worst sin. Anybody else with me? That's probably not the one that I'm going to go, this one is really going to make God mad. But how many of you know there was something in the heart of David that God was after? There was something in the heart of David in his motives that greatly displeased God, so much so that after David took up the census that took almost a year long for them to, to take up all the numbers, the Bible says that God sent a plague upon Israel, and that plague killed 70,000 people. How many of you are really grateful that when you mess up, 70,000 people don't die? This is what David's working with. God sends a plague to these people. Um, they're living under the weight of this punishment, under the weight of this discipline, all based upon David taking up a census. It doesn't quite seem to articulate. It doesn't quite seem to add up. And then as the Bible says, God continued to send the angel of God to go, to go uh, take on judgment upon Jerusalem. The angel of God is going towards Jerusalem, and in verse 15, God says, stop, like no more. He says, that is enough. And so here the angel of the Lord is. He's getting ready to go into Jerusalem, the heart of Israel. And God says, stop, that is enough. We, we have punished them enough. They have seen enough. And look what it says in Chapter 21, verse 18, it says, Then the angel of the Lord told Gad, who is one of David's advisors, to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Verse 19 says, So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him through Gad. How many of you know 
after God just wipes out 70,000 people, your entire nation is living under a plague, all because of your disobedience, how many of you know, I'm gonna probably respond pretty quickly when God asks me to do something? And so David hears his advisor, and, and he sets out to go meet with Arana, the Jebusite, to take a look at this place where God has asked him to place an altar. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting, there's kind of like friction in the text, is David already had an altar. David already had a place that he would offer um, offerings and sacrifices to God. Why would God make him go and build another one? Like, I already got one. Why do I need another one? Like, I, I already have one that I can sacrifice on. God, why would you make me? And he didn't ask the question this time because 70,000 people just died. So he heads out and he goes to seek out the creation and the building of another altar for another sacrifice unto God. And look what it says in verse 21. It says, when Arana saw David approaching from a distance... Look what he says. He says, he left his threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Orana, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Anybody ever use Craigslist? David just Craigslist this piece of property and he goes and he, he uses an interesting negotiating tactic. He walks up and he says, hey, I want this and I'll pay full price. Whatever, whatever you say full price is. Like he didn't, it didn't have like a for sale sign or realtor.com. He wasn't on Zillow looking at listings and found this piece of land. He just walks up to Arana and he says, listen, whatever you're gonna sell this thing for, top dollar, whatever the, whatever the market rate is, I wanna buy it from you, no questions asked. Pretty cool. And then it goes on and it says, then I will build an altar. Everybody say, build an altar. Just as God had asked him, he says, to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. So in David's mind, if I build an altar, make a sacrifice, God will stop the plague. Now what's interesting is David's the king. If I'm the king, God told me to go build an altar I'm probably just gonna take your land from you. I don't need to offer you money. I'm the king, I can take it from you. Uh, it's, if, if I just say the word, it is mine. I can appropriate the property. How many of you know David could have borrowed the property? God just told him, go and build an altar and make a sacrifice. He didn't say, and I want you to own the property that the altar's on. He said, I want you to, to build an altar, make a sacrifice. But there's something in the heart of David where he wants to go and he wants to buy the land and he wants to not only do that, but he wants to pay the full price for it. He doesn't need to. He can just say the word and it's his. But look what it says in verse 23. Arana responds to the king and he says, take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish. And Arana said this to David, and he says, I will even give you the oxen for the burnt offering, give you the animals that you need to offer to God, and the threshing boards for the wood to build a fire on the altar. So he said, I'm gonna actually provide the, the, the fire for you. I'll give you the land, I'll give you the oxen, I'll give you everything that you need. And he says, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all to you. Now, if I'm David, I'm going, sweet. 
You don't need to do that. Like, that's so kind of you. I mean, I got the money, I'm the king. This ain't no thing. Like, I'll give you full price for it. I mean, we can, I'll meet you halfway in the middle. Can I give you half? Can you, maybe I'll give you some rights to use the land in the future. I just kind of need it for a moment. But, but that's not what David does. David is so focused, so fixated on buying this. Look what it says in verse 24. He says, but King David replied to Arana, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I insist on buying it for the full price, for the full price. And then it goes on, he says, I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. Now lean into what he's saying because you're gonna see the motives and you're gonna see the motivation of David and why he is so fixated on needing this now, owning this now and paying a price for it. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. And then he says this, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. Now I want us to lean into this because this, is, this could be a story that you just breeze past and you miss one of David's most challenging moments as a leader one of his most challenging moments as a king. He is tested, and what we're seeing is this testing of the heart, the testing of what David believes and feels so deeply. The friction of the text is that he doesn't wanna give an offering to God that doesn't actually cost him. And he didn't say that doesn't cost the nation. He says, I don't wanna offer to God a sacrifice that doesn't cost me, King David, the person David, the guy that made the mistake, David, the reason why the people are dying, David, the one who slept with Bathsheba, David, the one who killed Goliath, David, the one that killed the lion and the bear, the one that God chose in a field as a shepherd boy. I wanna pay you full price. Now, I want us to take a look at this because we're about to see a sacrifice from one man, one man that brings deliverance to a nation. But if we, we miss out on it, we'll just think it was just giving the, the, the sacrifice, making an offering to God, and we'll miss the heart behind what pleased the heart of God. He says, I want the land. I want to pay full price. I don't want to sacrifice anything to God that costs me nothing. Now it's interesting, fast forward to verse 25. It says, so David gave Arana 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. It's a nice little payday. Verse 26 says, David built an altar there. Notice that he had to build it. He built an altar there to the Lord and he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David prayed, The Bible says that the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offering on the altar. Then the Lord spoke to the angel. Remember the guy with the big sword conquering the people, bringing judgment. He he says, whoa, 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 big fella. He says he put his sword back into his sheath. And in verse 28, it says, when David saw that the Lord answered his prayer, He offered sacrifices there at Arana's threshing floor. Now let's think about this for a second. 
God's asked David to give an offering, to make a sacrifice. And so, he, so David runs over to Orana and he's looking at the land and he's like, this is pretty amazing. This would make a really great spot for, for, for me to conduct this offering and this sacrifice. Great spot. It wasn't just enough that God asked him to make a sacrifice and make an offering on the land. Like you're like, David, you know that once you actually build the altar, you're gonna have to make another sacrifice. You don't need to sacrifice to buy the land also. Anybody tracking with the logic here? Like making the sacrifice is probably good enough. And so David says, no, I wanna, I wanna sacrifice personally to buy the land. And then I wanna sacrifice personally to offer the burnt offering. And then I wanna sacrifice personally to offer the peace offering. And then the Bible says once God responded, David responded with another offering. Anybody kind of going like, David, God didn't ask you to do this many things. He didn't ask you to sacrifice so much. Why would David respond in this way? Why would David respond over and above what God had asked him? More than obedience, David responded. I want us to lean into this because what happens here is amazing. And what happens here marks David's legacy for the rest of his life. It marks David's legacy for all of history. And it sets up one of David's most significant contributions to the world. And some might say one of the greatest contributions he would leave, not only for himself, but his children and his children's children. David is going to embody something here that I think we need to see. Because David understood the judgment of God based upon his behaviors. Have you ever received mercy when you deserve judgment? Have you ever received forgiveness when you deserved judgment? Yes, no, there's something about receiving forgiveness when you don't deserve it. David did not deserve it. He got what was just in the eyes of God. And how many you know what is just in the eyes of God should be just in our own eyes. David is getting punished for something that he wrongfully did. He goes, God, I know that I sinned greatly, but there was something in the heart of David that when he receives the mercy of God, he responds out of generosity. Notice that he, when, when God came to him and says, I want you to sacrifice, God hears him after the sacrifice. It could have been cut scene, move to the next scene, move to the next episode, move to the next challenge. David, you passed, way to go. But David goes, wait, there's more. When I read this, I go, David, you've already done more. You didn't need to buy the land. Like you could have saved some dough there, bro. Could have used the gold elsewhere, but David decides to buy the land and he decides to give God an extra offering. And the Bible says that the sacrifice of one man led to the deliverance of an entire nation. I know a lot of your stories. I know the stories that have come from our church. And one of the things that the Bible says is that he who has been forgiven much loves much. There's a giving away. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
All throughout scriptures, there's this testing of God upon the heart of man going, do you really love what is happening? If so, the automatic response is giving. And David embodies this. He's going, God, I know that my heart failed you before. I know that I wanted to build my significance and my pride upon what I've developed and what I've built, but I I recognize and I refocus my heart and realize everything along the way that I've accumulated has come from you. It's come by you. It is not by the work of my hands, but it's by your graciousness. And in that moment, David gives an offering of more than enough. And the Bible says that because of one man's sacrifice... Deliverance came to an entire nation. I wonder, do you downplay the sacrifice that you can make? For David, this was such a small thing. He's the king. He could have snapped his finger in a moment, acquired the land and the oxen and the wood, but there was something that David says, I know that this is small for a king. But then God says, listen, your investment in your sacrifice and your offering might seem insignificant, but watch what I can do with it. I wonder, as a church, people that have been forgiven much, anybody been forgiven much? Anybody been loved much? The Bible says that the automatic response is sacrifice. It is the laying down of our lives and of our stuff and of our belongings and of our pride and of our future. It is a response based out of love. David's sacrifice paved the way for deliverance of an entire nation. I wonder what could God do with our sacrifice? Because here's the truth. We've been talking over the last few weeks that one of the things that Jesus Christ came to do was to fulfill that which we could not. David had to offer an offering and a sacrifice to pay for his own sins. David had to sacrifice oxen before God to make himself right with God. The purpose of the altar that he built was to pay for his own sins. Here's the new, the new covenant paradigm. What Jesus has done, what we build and we sacrifice for is not to sacrifice for our own sins. We build up a sacrificial altar so that we can demonstrate and show the world a greater sacrifice that was made for us. We can applaud for that because that's the good news of the gospel and it's amazing. So David gets to the site and stone by stone, he's building this altar. He's building an altar. He's building an altar, all for the sake of making a sacrifice to God. And what I want to show us today is that the heart of this sacrifice is so similar for us today because we get to go from city to city with bricks and stones, building buildings, not to pay for our own sacrifice, but to tell the world about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. Both were centered around sacrifice. And I believe with all my heart that what God's calling us into as a church in this season is to understand the significance of personal sacrifice. 
David, one man, yes, he was king, but he was just a man. David realized that in that moment. I'm just a man. I'm the same boy that you called when I was just out in the field tending to sheep, smelling sheep and sheep doo-doo. I remember who I was, and I remember what you have done, God, in your eyes. I am just a man, and that one man, his sacrifice brought deliverance to an entire nation. This weekend, I want to share with you a story a story that hits pretty close to home for us because I think it helps demonstrate for us what the sacrifice of one person can do to change a city. Would you watch this video? I've known Paul and Glenda Veliquit since I was a child. We grew up uh, a street apart in Santa Cruz, California. When we originally came out to Denver to follow God's plan and his call to help start a church, um, the only people we knew when we arrived in Denver, the only people we knew were Paul and Glenda Bellacquid. They were pastors of their own church, which was Abundant Life Christian Center. There came a time where they were going to purchase a new building and had felt God call them to buy this building on Hackberry Hill. In order to do that, they were going to have to have quite a sizable, um, you know, generosity campaign from the church. When they left California, they had, they had a house. So as, you know, as we began to really ponder, Glenn and I, what it was that we could do. Um, we both knew immediately that the thing we were gonna have to do was sell the house. So then the question was, okay, so you sell the house. How much are you gonna keep? And how much are you gonna give to the church? And the Holy Spirit said, all of it. They felt called to literally sell their house and they use that money to put into a building. You know, they got to the point where they needed to sell that building and that incredible property up there on Hackberry Hill. Basically, they'd had a board meeting. Um, financially, things weren't going great, which is the story of a lot of churches. And they said, but we decided that um, God could maybe use Red Rocks Church to do a whole lot more with this space than then he's going to use our church for. And so if Red Rocks Church wants to buy this building, we'll sell it to you. At one point, they had a vision. It was actually Glenda that had a vision from God um, that they would uh, eventually reach as many people for Jesus Christ in that building as there were bricks on that building. through what would become probably one of the most kingdom-minded moves, they sold us the property uh, at 72nd and Wadsworth for really a fraction of what they could have sold it for. That, that vision that God placed on their hearts had, has actually come to pass and is still coming to pass. And it might not have been under their, under their um, tenure as senior pastors of Abundant Life Christian Center, but that vision was still, still carried out. Uh, through how God continued to use that property. 
I used to drive by the Arvada campus two to three times a day, taking my kids to school, picking them up from school, and I just remember something telling me, just go, just try it. I, I literally, I felt pulled here. When we first got here, we were welcomed, and it felt so warm. And I knew in that moment that this is where I needed to be. It's hard to measure like what the impact is gonna be. And I could just say from experience, being a part of the Arvada campus from the beginning, the impact has been like so exponential. I don't think there's any other word to describe this building other than my home. God called me home here. This is the fulfillment of a, a dream and an ambition that, that we had as pastors. And uh, to see what's happening inside this building now, see people baptized in water, see people worshiping the Lord, uh, listening to the, the teaching here, is really the fulfillment of a, a dream that we had many years ago. That's how God works. He uses us in his story. Here and now, we're, we're just a part of, we're a part of it. We're bricks in a building. When I heard that story, uh, I was just reminded of the significance of one person saying yes. Uh, I think it's easy. Now we've been so fortunate as a church to, to, to live out and to see and to experience so many miraculous things that sometimes we can take it for granted and we forget that everything that we see around us was built upon people's sacrifices. In the same sense that David's personal sacrifice of building an altar out of stones, we have the same opportunity to respond by building altars, physical buildings, churches out of bricks that will be able to glorify God in a measure that I think we haven't quite seen yet. However, I think God is waiting. He's ready. He says the, the, the fields are ripe with harvest. They're white. I can see them. People are ready to hear the good news about Jesus, but he's just going, if I only only had some people that would say yes if I only had messengers I believe that our church is going to send messengers we're gonna plant more campuses we're gonna launch more churches because we have a message to share but it's all contingent upon what we're gonna do in these moments as a church you see 15 years ago we are here because some people said yes to sacrifice Some people said no to the frills. They said no to the stuff and the surplus. And they said, we're gonna give. We're gonna lay down our lives and our resources and our time to seeing a church built for the glory of Jesus Christ and from a heart of sacrifice. Red Rocks Church was born. And then some years later, we reaped the benefits at the Arvada campus of a couple saying, we just wanna be used by God. And we're just crazy enough to walk this out with some personal sacrifice. And now the Arvada campus has reached thousands upon thousands of people. Hundreds have given their lives to Jesus Christ, all because some people said yes to personal, individual sacrifice. And I feel like we're standing in a moment where God wants to do some amazing things in our nation, around the globe, in prisons. 
and he's just looking for some people that go, man, I will sacrifice everything that I can so that the message of Jesus can be proclaimed to every corner of the world. Sorry, I'm emotional. I just feel like this weekend, I'm talking to the church that God wants to use to send that message to the four corners of the world. I feel the weight of the moment in history that we're sitting in. People are gonna write about this moment these moments that we live one day and I'm praying with everything in me that when people remember the church in our days they'll say they stopped at nothing they gave everything they leveraged every every opportunity to sacrifice and to make an offering to God to say yes so that people far from God would be raised to life in Christ Jesus I'm hoping that it's going to be our church that says yes but it's not a church of Red Rocks, it's the people of Red Rocks that need to respond in these moments and in these hours. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this week and over the weeks that follow. December 7th and 8th, I believe that our church is gonna make history. We're gonna change some cities. We're gonna change the trajectory of ministry that we're gonna be able to do around the world all because our church, the generosity of our hearts, we're gonna say yes to God by sowing our seeds financially into what God is doing. Do you wanna be a part of that? What's amazing is David didn't realize this, but the place where he built that altar, the place where he made that sacrifice to God would one day be the place where the temple was built. It was on that same ground, that same place, that same location that, that, that God spoke to him and he says, I got it. Look what he says in 1 Chronicles 22.1. I'm just snotting up a storm up here. It says, then David said this, this will be the location for the temple of the Lord God. He says, the place of the altar for the burnt offerings of Israel. This is going to be the place. This is going to be the moment. You received a, an envelope on your chair when you walked in, wherever you're watching this from. And my prayer is that you would take this envelope home and you would ask God, God, how do I need to respond? How does my family need to respond in order to say yes effectively to what you're asking our church to do in and through us in this season? I wanna pray for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus, our heart is to respond with a boisterous yes to the things in which you're calling us to do. God, we wanna be obedient. God, I believe that the best days of Red Rocks Church are in front of us. And as we look to a new year with our senior pastor coming back in the saddle with a heart full of vision. God, my prayer is that we would be able to remove every obstacle that might keep us back. And God, as we look to the new year, to new beginnings, to fresh starts, God, we would set our eyes to new horizons, new cities. Jesus, would you use us in these days? God, would you use our sacrifice in these moments 
God, to reach people that are far from you. Our heart's cry is to welcome home prodigals. God, our heart's cry is to make heaven more crowded. And we know that nothing, nothing, nothing is ever built without sacrifice. And so God, we wanna be a church that buys the altar. We wanna be a church that responds with a yes. We wanna go above and beyond. We wanna sow sacrificially. Jesus, we wanna lift high and to make known the sacrifice that you made for us. And so God, I pray in these moments, would we change history with common people doing uncommon things, serving an uncommon mission? Would you do something in these days that not only affects us, but our children and our children's children? And we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and every faith-filled, generous person said, amen. Hey, let's worship.